We are in the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, the 6th chapter. We're going to start with the 11th verse today. Chuck Swindoll writes this. He says, it doesn't take people long to realize that this world runs on relationships. Each individual came into existence because of a relationship between a mother and a father. As we grow up, we have either good or poor relationships with our parents and family. He writes, throughout our childhood and adult years, we make relationships, cultivate relationships, we ruin relationships, we start relationships, we end relationships. We, as human beings, are relational. God's Word, filled with accounts of relationships between people. People loving and fighting and planning and praying and laughing and singing and grieving. People relating to each other for good or sometimes for ill. He writes, our lives are formed and transformed through a series of relationships. Bad company can do what? (laughs) Corrupt. Good friends can strengthen us. And as I thought about that, I I looked at this passage of Scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 11 to 18, and it really is all about relationships. There's three definite relationships in this passage, and we're going to look at all three of them. The first is between the writer of the letter, the Apostle Paul, and the church he's writing to, the church at Corinth, or the Corinthians. And so he's talking about the relationships between church people, Christian people, himself and the Corinthians that have come to know the Lord that he has planted the church with. So I want to look at the first three verses uh, and talk a little bit about church relationships. He talks about, he says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide to us also. I hope you can hear in the apostle's uh, voice there even this, this almost pleading that I'm opening myself up to you and you're not reciprocating. That there is this, uh, I want this to be right. I want us to... Work this thing out that's between us. And if you've been with us through the beginning of the book, you, can, you understand that this letter is really a letter written to make amends. And the point I would make is that followers of Christ, simply we just work things out. Amen, right? Right? Exactly. We, we've got this division between this apostle and these people, and they're just thinking all these things about him, and he's saying, I don't want it to be this way. I don't want it to be this way. In the first part of chapter 6, Paul has felt the need to defend his ministry. There have been those who have been opposing him and planting seeds with the Corinthians. You can't trust that guy. What he's saying is not true. He's he's wanting us to throw out the whole Jewish history that we have and accept this grace message of Jesus. and, And he said he was coming, and he didn't come, and so he's just undependable. And all these things are being planted with the Corinthian church. They've been influenced by these teachers, teachers of a different gospel. And you couple that with the fact, if you read 1 Corinthians, the first letter that Paul had written to this church, he's pretty blunt about some uh, moral issues going on in the church. And the He's, it's, it's a letter of correction, perhaps, more than anything else, that they should adhere to the gospel that he had preached to them, that he had planted in their soul. And so there's possibilities that even in that first letter, some of the Corinthians got rubbed a little bit wrong, and then you add in these false teachers, and then you go, well, I'm not so sure. 
about this guy named Paul. So Paul is addressing the schism head on. I want to work this out. He says, I've spoken to you freely, which means honestly. I've held nothing back. Transparent. I've shared my heart with you. In fact, my heart is wide open, meaning I accept you. I want to hear from you. I want to understand. Nothing restrained in me. He calls them by name. Oh, Corinthians. It's just something you just... It's something you say when you want to draw people in close. Let's talk about this. He's expressing his intent to uh, work it out and his affectionate heart for them. He then makes the point that even though I'm putting my heart out there, you're not reciprocating. You're restrained in the relationship. You're holding back your affection for me. He says, I'm speaking to you as a father with children. Open your heart to me. Parents, you can't make your kids love you, right? (laughs) Oh, you can beg and you can want and you can hope, but you can't enforce it. You know, I read this and on the surface it may appear to us that the apostle is quite needy. (laughs) Why don't you like me? But there is far more at stake here than his feelings. Let's say you have, you're the parent of a teenager. Your teenager is a great kid, and uh, your teenager has walked in the faith and talks to you about their faith, and uh, you've really built this relationship that is open and honest and transparent, and uh, you're grateful for the blessing your teenager is, and... Uh, Then one day, you sense that your spiritual conversations are beginning to change. His answers are a little more like pat answers, like, I know my mom or dad wants to hear this, so I'm going to say this, but you can tell that it's just not in their heart right now, and uh, you find out that he's become close friends with a, a very, very smart atheist. You know, they're smart atheists sometimes who can really uh, impose an apologetic for there is no God in a forceful way and a young mind just contemplating these things and uh, you're speaking in this honest transparency, you have this open heart, but there is this uh, resistance you feel. So let me ask you, as a parent, do you just throw up your hands and walk away? No, you can't. You, you continue to invest in the relationship. You keep loving, you keep talking, you keep confronting even because there is too much at stake. We must contend continually for the truth of the gospel of Christ and uh, that's what's happening between Paul and the Corinthians here. Is it personal? Of course it's personal. He loves this church. When he started this church, he had friends in this church that loved him, and there was this camaraderie, and now there's this kind of distance. And, uh, but it's more than just healing the relationship. It is strategic in their future as a church to adhere to the gospel and not buy into the influences of what we call the Judaizers, those that wanted to mix Jewish tradition with the new faith in Christ. 
when we face relational conflict within the community of Christ, one thing that is so critical, and you probably know that I'm going to say this, but we must check our motivation for confronting issues, right? Paul, if you read up in in the first ten verses of chapter 6, he has just emptied himself and, and, and given a litany, kind of a resume of what he's been through. The affliction and the suffering. And uh, he closes that out with saying, I've been stripped of everything, yet I possess all things in Christ. My motivation is not some self-orientation. My motivation really is rooted in the fact that I've given it all for Christ and I just want His mission. And part of His mission is that we get along. If it was about his feelings, what would he have done? Well, he just said, those uh, Corinthians. Never going back there. Just go to a different church. You know, we have to be careful. You want to work things out? You've emptied of self to the point where you can just really honestly approach this from a kingdom perspective, or do you want to just convince that person that they're wrong? But when you have this um, heart for the gospel, this closeness to the Spirit of Christ, you truly want reconciliation so that the relationship can be mutually beneficial and beneficial to the gospel. Verse 14, another relationship is dressed. It's kind of like Paul in the dialogue here just turns on a dime. and uh, He's talking about this affection between him and the church, and then he just boldly states this. He says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? All these rapid-fire questions which the assumed nothing is the answer. The point he's making here, because they have established this relationship and and, and gotten close to these who would lead them away from the truth of the gospel. And uh, he's making the point, all relationships are spiritual. All relationships have spiritual impact. Many times through my years of ministry, I've seen people who've come to church, even people who attend church regularly, but they maintain their circle of close relationships outside of the family of God. And I've always been very puzzled by that. It could be, uh, dare I say, happy hour friends. It could be uh, other parents in their kids' class at school. It could be perhaps people down at the club that have a similar checkbook account as theirs. Oh, they go to church because, well, it's a good thing to do. But most, if not all, the significant relationships that they have in their lives are not with the body of Christ. 
Their community is not his community. And I have to tell you, I'm puzzled by that. I just don't understand how that works. I don't understand how that makes it. In fact, Paul is going through the same thing because the, the Corinthians have kind of gone off the rails here in their relationships and they've, they've built community around a community of people who aren't believers. I'm not just saying acquaintances or friends. I'm talking about community. This is the people that we call our circle. And so he's saying, don't be unequally yoked, as some translations put it. And the word yoke does appear. You know, what the, you know what a yoke is? It's an agricultural term, right? It's the bar between uh, usually oxen to help them plow together, and you would find two similar oxen that uh, were similar in size, and you would tie them together with this piece of wood, and uh, you would have them plow, and the wood would kind of keep them on the same page in tandem, okay? In fact, i got a picture for you. Let's put that up. Okay, there's a yoke, and you can see the similar animals would make it pretty good, but uh, can you imagine plowing with this? The next picture. Uh, what is going to happen if the farmer puts this pair out in the field? I mean, just look at the weight difference. Look at those legs. You know, I was looking at this picture. Look at the eyes of the ox. He, mean, he looks like he means business, doesn't he? What about the eyes of the donkey? Well, he looks like he needs a nap, right? I can't even imagine putting this pair out to plow the field. And Paul is drawing, of course, from this passage over in Deuteronomy 22 that says, Don't yoke an ox with a donkey. And I would say, as if we needed Scripture to tell us that's not a good idea, right? The illustration highlights this. There's a different agenda. There's a different operation. There's different physical ability here. And uh, when we relate it to relationships, there's different values, goals that followers of Christ have and those that are actually following their own desires in the worldly path. It's important to understand that Paul is addressing this spiritual relationship the Corinthians are having with those outside of the teaching of the gospel. Don't make the mistake here. Uh, he, he's not saying that we shouldn't have any contacts with unbelievers. Should we have contact with unbelievers? Sure, how's the message going to get out? How's the gospel going to be proclaimed? In other passages, he encourages believers to go to the home of some, an unbeliever if he invites you. It may be an invitation to be able to share who Jesus is. And uh, he even addresses the issue in a marriage. What if you're in a marriage and, a, and a, a wife or a spouse or a husband comes to know the Lord? Should you say, well, I can't be yoked with an unbeliever, so I'm going to divorce him. He says, no, maybe stay with him. And perhaps the righteousness of the believing spouse will influence the unbelieving spouse. So the passage is not saying, let's cut off any kind of contact with an unbeliever. I mean, even if that were possible, right? It is saying, however, that a person living Christ just really can't have the community 
partnerships, if you will, with unbelievers simply because the person controlled by Christ operates completely different. C.K. Barrett says you must not get into a double harness with unbelievers. I was thinking about this, and I, I don't know, every once in a while I think about that experience I had in high school when I was playing on the basketball team, and uh, I remember when I was junior, senior year, we were playing, and uh, I mean... This, this group of guys, they were quite a crew. Um, they would always invite me to participate in things that I, I knew would compromise my faith in Christ. Um, so I always turned down the opportunities to go to the movies that they would go to and to drink the beverages that they would drink and use the kind of language that they would use. And uh, They came up with a nickname for me. They called me Davy Do-Right. And they were trying to take a jab at me, weren't they? But I kind of wore it as a badge of honor, really, you know? And sometimes I hear a, a Christian young person say something like this, you know, I, I, I want to marry this person. Now, they're not a believer, as if that's a trite thing. But we're so much in love. And I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled by that. How, how, how does that work? How can that work? There's only one way that that can work. Well, and it won't work, but uh, there's only one way that they can even survive is that the Christian's going to have to put their faith over here in this kind of sheltered box, and you only open it when the other person is not around, and actually that's not Christianity at all. Christianity permeates every area of our life and every relationship, and uh, it's a life completely controlled by the Spirit of God. And So how could I choose knowingly to enter into a close, intimate relationship, partnership, covenant, knowing that it requires the compromise of my faith at times, or at the very least, I must hide it. Uh, Paul's words are blunt. He doesn't want there to be any gray or parsing of the words here. He wants to be very clear. He says, what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? What fellowship, that word koinonia is used here, what fellowship can, have, can, uh, can occur between light and darkness? I mean, think about that. This Greek word koinonia, it's the intimate connected relationships that the church has, actually. And he's saying there can be no fellowship between light and dark. In fact, they're mutually exclusive. You can't have both in the room at the same time. It's actually impossible. What harmony? The, you, the word he uses there is this Greek word that uh, we get the word symphony from. In other words, what kind of beautiful music can those followers of Christ make with those who are followers of, he uses the word Belial, which is a kind of representative word for not only Satan, but just worldliness. I know it's, it, it's not the popular thing today to say the... I mean, in today's world of everybody worships the same God, and uh, we just all need to get along and have a global community of tolerance and acceptance. And uh, I know it's not the popular thing to say, but Christians, believers in Christ that walk in the gospel of His grace, we can't be part of blend in, unite 
with the agendas, values, and goals of unbelievers. Amen. We lose our distinctiveness and we lose the message of the core meaning of grace and the core gospel of truth. When we compromise and set it aside, okay, I don't want to be offensive or I don't want to say things that aren't popular, so I'm just going to kind of avoid much of the gospel and I'm going to... Can't do it. The reason we can't is because we belong to another. That's the third relationship in the passage. He says, for we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This relationship we have with God through our Savior, Jesus Christ, it it not only controls our lives, it controls these other relationships. He says we need to walk out of the world. Its system, come out from its midst. Walk this life of holiness. That's the implication of the passage, this separateness. God welcomes us when we step out of the world. And I think so much of the world today is grabbing the heels of believers in Christ and uh, tempering their dialogue and tempering their message and trying to make it more palatable to the current culture. And I say, are we going to stand for truth and are we going to stand and exhibit the very realness of grace and love and acceptance, but not compromise? He quotes many Old Testament passages in this last paragraph. Isaiah 52, come out from their midst. He's he's making this very real connection that you can't live in both places. You can't be living in the fullness of God and keeping in step with His Spirit and at the same time walking in the ways of worldliness and having that be your community and influence in your life. You can't be clean and unclean together is the implication of the passage. And really there's a beautiful thing here because he's saying walk out of a system that produces self and produces bitterness and regret and stress. He says, I will welcome you as a father welcomes sons and daughters. And when he is our father, all these other relationships that he's been talking about, they, they come under the influence of that relationship of being a part of the community of Jesus Christ. We have these close, intimate fellowship with other believers because we share him together. We see unbelievers in our life that will cross our paths in the different ministries that we're involved in. And we see them as Christ sees them. Perhaps broken. Looking for love. Somebody that will care enough to have a conversation about what's true and will speak to the need in my life. I think of Jesus and His ministry so well described over in Matthew 9.35. He says, Jesus... It says Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. He went to them, proclaiming the gospel, uncompromised, gospel of the kingdom, 
meeting their needs, healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. And it says, Jesus saw the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed, dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. We invite the distressed, thus dressed, the dispirited, the dejected. The word means to be the tossed about. We invite them to come to this banquet of grace and this, this life of Christ that is transformative. So I ask these questions. Do you need today, as you've listened to this passage of Scripture, do you need to work something out with a brother or sister in the Lord? Are your motives godly? Willing to accept your contribution to the problem? Do you have close partnerships or or deep connections with unbelievers? Is that your community? Do you uh, have to be quiet about your faith or make compromises to your faith in order to maintain that relationship? Perhaps what is God saying to you about that today? When you hear this, this call all the way back from the Old Testament to come out from the midst of all the stuff of worldliness and, and be separate, how do you respond? I mean, if you're really honest, you have one foot over here in this system and trying to make one foot over here in grace, and yet there's this pull. Or do you live under this cover of the wing? Of the Lord, as it says over in Psalm 91, is He your one and only refuge? Does He cover you? Is He your only source? No other idols. He mentioned that in the passage. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to run to another comforter. I'm not going to run to another sustainer. Keeping in step with the Spirit as we're encouraged to do over in Galatians, it draws us into close koinonia fellowship with other believers. We, we just can't walk away from that koinonia. And there's times where perhaps we do get our feelings hurt, or perhaps there are issues that we don't agree on. And we just, because of the koinonia and the value of the gospel that's expressed through koinonia, we talk about those things and we allow those things to be reconciled. We love the unbelievers, Jesus loves them. Yeah, we don't compromise. We don't set aside faith just in order to be their friend. No compromises. No division. We just, we, we leave that. The biblical word is, re, is repent, which means to leave and turn and walk a different way. And uh, No more. We leave so that we can find. I want you to bow your heads with me. As we pray about this, Father, I just uh, I study this this book of Second Corinthians, and in so many ways, it's uh, these these kinds of relational issues are not new to our generation. They go all the way back, and uh, these different ways of seeing things even in the church or what is the proper relationship that we should have with unbelievers and how, how can the love of Christ be so 
shining in our life that we can, we can minister to an unbeliever going through difficulties in such a powerful way that they're drawn to you and yet there's never a compromise made of what is true and right and holy. Father, as, as we understand that there is no way that we do this in our own strength, there is a constant need that we have to depend upon You, to draw upon the resurrected life that lives in us. We sung about it earlier. We're going to sing about it again. This life that sprung to life the day Your grace became real to us. The heart of stone that was dead and without life became transformed, awakened, brand new, up from the grave. Father, I just pray that the transformative, accepting, reaching grace of Jesus Christ would be the mark of your church this day. That we would be an expression of that unity, not only within the, the walls of this church, but across the, the, the big church, the big C church of Jesus Christ, across this community around the world, that there would be no division, that there would be a united proclamation of the goodness and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. We thank you for this life. In Christ's name we pray.